And, and also what we're seeing in CPM is reflexively impacting the way we're doing ministry in the global north. Um, and so it's not just a missionary conversation, but it's one that falls in the field of world Christianity as well. Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. I've really enjoyed the opportunity to share additional resources through this podcast, and this episode is another one of those. The book is Modus Day: The Movement of God to Disciple the Nations. It's just been released, so let's jump in and chat with a couple of the authors. Well, I'm super excited to have Warwick and Dave on today. We're going to be talking about Modus Day, the movement of God and discipleship of nations. Uh, but before we do, I'd love for each of you guys just to kind of give an intro of yourselves while you're involved in this book, maybe, but even bigger picture, I'm always excited to hear people's connections to movements in general and, and what captured them. I was a pastor for 10 years in the U.S., and uh, after taking the perspectives course, I said, God, I just want to be used by you wherever, however, whatever's going on. And God really gripped my heart for the Muslim world. We prayed for a number of years, and the Lord led me and my family. At that point, we had four kids, 11, 9, 6, and 3, to one of the world's largest majority Muslim countries. And we were based there for 24 years. Uh, I was privileged to be involved with some local believers in planting a, a contextual church among the focus group there. We were using an approach that was talked about then, but it didn't multiply. And uh, as I started hearing about church planting movements and reproducibility, we started discussing these things. And as it worked out, my my uh, co-workers weren't that interested in going in that direction. So we had a, a amicable parting of the ways. They continued. I blessed them. And I began to focus more on a church planting movement approach. And that was back around uh, 2000 when I was first learning about that. Since then, I've been more and more interested in that and uh, looking to see what is God doing and how can we be a part of it? So lots has happened since 2000 and uh, lots has happened in terms of movements. At this point, my job description is uh, an encourager and resourcer of church planting movements. And so I do whatever needs to be done, whatever I can do to encourage movements wherever they're happening. That's it in a nutshell. Dave is a good encourager. Thank, thank you, Feeney, for picking us up in your car. <laughs> I've, I've never seen a car like this before. What what kind of car is it? <laughs> right. It feels uh, it feels very much like a Zoom room for those of you who have ever experienced a Zoom meeting. Oh, wait, we all have now over the last <laughs> 18 months. Yeah, it smells just like my office in this car. <laughs> it's uncanny. Yeah, I mean, I, I could tell you a little bit of my personal story. Um, and then I'd like to also share a little bit, I think, of the of the missiological story. Yeah, please. Of why this book and what, what the connection to movements is. Um, so Modus Dei is Latin. And so we're intentionally mimicking the term Missio Dei, which is the mission of God or the sending of God. And so in that concept, we, we it, mission is God's mission. And so we join with him. Um, in that framework. And so uh, modus day is the same type of um, framework. So the movements that are happening, these are works of God and we want to be theologically uh, and spiritually grounded in, in um, a God centered uh, understanding of movements connected with him and that we're joining with him in in these works that he's doing. You know, I, I, I first read uh, David Garrison's uh, booklet, church planting movements that came out in 1999 
And it was so popular at the time, um, the IMB translated it into 40 different languages and distributed it free of charge. And so it, it became, obviously, then the book was published in 2004. And then at that point, church planting movements became like a, a really um, significant part of our evangelical missiological discourse. So I was I started serving with one collective working with Muslims in 2001. And so we've been living in the Middle East for the last 15 years. And so I, I read the book when I was in my second year of seminary. And so I've always been kind of in, in, in that missiological side of things, really interested in the discussion and also trying to practice it uh, in, in, in my ministry wherever I've been. So we're in our second country now in the Middle East, and we serve, serve alongside an emerging movement here. Um, but that's kind of just a personal story. I've known Dave for a long time, got to know him through... Uh, the Bridging the Divide Network. And so Modus Day is a similar type of a network, but what we're trying to do is take this, this discourse around movements and not frame it in terms of a debate where people need kind of reconciliation like Bridging the Divide was, talking about the insider movement debate. Modus Day is really, we're trying to start a, uh, a learning community uh, to create a, a network where we have a culture of exchange and we're learning from one another and that movements are, you know, something that is kind of a, a 1990s conversation. And so missiologically, the, the history, you know, in, in the book, we don't tightly define movements. Um, but for the most part, what we're talking about is the CPM, DMM, t for t conversation. And so this is a little bit different than the move, the indigenous movements conversation that came out of the colonial period in the 19th century uh, with uh, Rufus Anderson, Henry Van Nevius. Um, movements at that point where they were just trying to talk about what were what was an indigenous church. Um, but then the movements that we're talking about are also differentiated from the early conversations in the church growth movement um, that saw the rapid spread of Christianity around the globe in the 20th century and the emergence of the these non-Western missions. And so those previous discussions, they focused on indigenization and multi-individual um, conversions within um, castes and people groups and things like that. Instead, CPM has come about in unreached contexts, really in the later part of, of last century and early this century, particularly among Muslims and Hindus, and at a time when the center of Christianity was, was clearly established in the global South and when mission was polycentric. And, and so it, it, it really dates back to some, uh, what I would say is an innovation in the, the Cooperative Services International Division in the IMB in the 90s that David Garrison was leading. And he did a couple focus groups um, to really look at uh, movements, um, these things that had started due to this new approach of ministry, and they didn't know what to call it. And they did two focus groups. And at that time, they had seven movements and 42 unconfirmed movements. So they were trying to learn from this, um, but that was 25 years ago. Mm. Um, and so now we have over um, 1,400 movements with over perhaps 80 million people involved. And so everyone we've talked to is like, yeah, now it's the time we want to go deeper in this conversation to, 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 to bring different perspectives um, and ask uh, new questions um, and so Modus Day, the book might feel a bit scholarly, and I kind of got in trouble with the publisher for this a little bit, but we've seen this need that people really want to read something that's a little bit more meaty. Modus Day is trying to meet that need 
Um, it's not for the seminary, although seminaries also, they don't have a book like this to use for movements. But it's not about meeting the needs for the seminary. It's really about movements themselves and fruitful ministry for the glory of King Jesus among all nations. It's kind of the chicken and the egg conversation. Which came first, the book or this network? In 2000, so I first talked to Dave about this in 2017 when we were at a conference in Chiang Mai in Thailand. Um, and the, the idea had been brewing in my mind for, uh, for some time at that point. But then in 2019, I was thinking, you know what? I, I'm, I was starting a PhD looking at church planting movements. And I looked at my schedule and I thought, you know, I really only have time to either start a network or start a PhD, not to start both. And then I, I prayed about it and I sought a lot of counsel and talked to people like Dave and I just felt like the Lord was saying, it's okay, you know, move forward with this. And then the pandemic happened and there was no way that I could have ever done two things <laughs> if it wasn't for the pandemic. And so the network was actually kind of uh, an evil plan of mine to draw together a bunch of people who could help me with my PhD. <laughs> and, you know, so, and then it's like, you know, we've got a lot of good stuff here. We can just do a book too, and we could do multiple books. So yeah, that's kind of the backstory cool. there. Dave, any comment there on your involvement? Yeah, when when we started, like Wes said, it was just kind of a brainstorm of his. And he said, you know, what do you think of this? And we kicked it around and, and I had some questions, some suggestions, some challenges. And uh, so from my vantage point, I saw the network idea taking shape first. And um, then as we talked about getting people together and realized this is incredible. You know, what, what the people that are willing to enter this conversation uh, really high caliber people with lots of experience, lots of research has been done, is being done, can be done. And uh, so it it kind of made sense once we realized, wow, this is quite an all-star crew we've got here to say, yeah, this could become a book with some of these presentations. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, this is a very obvious question, but I don't want to miss it in case any listener wouldn't know it. When you when we say there's 1,400 movements, I mean, just give us a, a simple definition of a movement. What do we mean by that when we say that's happening around the globe? Yeah, there are various definitions um, that people use. The one that the 2414 Coalition uses, which is my favorite, is based around um, reproduction to at least four generations of churches planting churches in multiple streams. So it's not just a whole mess of people getting saved. It's not just one person who's an amazing evangelist. It's something that is generational, where disciples are reproducing disciples, churches are reproducing churches, leaders are reproducing leaders in multiple streams. So it's not dependent on any one person. It's not dependent on um, anyone's personality or charisma or talent. It's a movement of God that is widespread generationally, at least four generations. And so that uh, then, you know, results obviously in many people. Some will have a certain number of churches or a certain number of believers. That's my basis for a movement. Uh, but when we talk about church planning movement or disciple making movement, it's generational. And that is the key to what, when it reaches that point, usually it will keep going. Many things can stop great stuff happening, but it's very rare that once something reaches that four generation point, that it will, it will fizzle. And we know of 17 that have fizzled. Out of over a thousand, to know of 17 fizzles, that's that's a pretty good track record. To me, I'm hearing what a great reason for a book like this to say, wow, this is what God's doing across the globe. 
give me a quick overview of like where the book takes us from start to finish. If you want to kind of to kind of give us that, and then we'll maybe some of the, dig into the other questions. But yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, we have five parts. Okay, so the first part is a, the big picture of movements. So I, I have the opening chapter called uh, a Primer for Multiple Perspectives, uh, Movements Today. And then uh, we have uh, Samuel Kebriad talks about observations of his research observations over 15 years of studying um, DMM. And then we have Dave gets into a, a nice long chapter dealing with the top eight objections to CPM DMM. So he answers those in, in a systematic way. Then we have two chapters kind of looking at the statistics. From there, we go into, um, so that's the big picture. Part two is really a, a, a missional theology of movements. So we look at um, house church, um, house church networks, a theology of that. Uh, Craig Ott has a great study on the book of Acts and CPM. And then we have a, book, a chapter on ecclesiology. Then we have a chapter on the gospel of John and, and the, the contributions of the fourth gospel to the New Testament movement or the first century uh, movement. And then we have a chapter on households of peace. And then uh, part three is, is movement dynamics, um, where we have kind of the, the life cycle of movements, uh, looking at movements from a woman's perspective, uh, a chapter on ethnodoxology. So, so like worship music, things like that, and, uh, and arts, and then a chapter on uh, media, and then a chapter on the diaspora context. Uh, and then we have uh, four case studies. So movements in East Africa, North India, Thai, uh, Thailand, and then the um, movements, the second generation of movements that happened um, in Iran and Algeria and what they're going through today. And then we have the final section is kind of just wrapping things up uh, is, is on leadership and next steps. So looking at a profile of effective movement catalysts, um, how one organization turned into an organization that was purely focused on movements. And then finally, just a concluding chapter, like where do we want to go from here? That sounds great. How many, I'd love to know, you ref, we obviously already talked about the collaborative nature, but how many total uh, authors or even organizations have been involved in this? I, 32 authors, you know, um, from the Global North, Global South, um, men, women. I can't tell you how many organizations, honestly. It's it's quite great. broad. And, and, and you'll see in the endorsements too, you know, we have a number of endorsements of people who, who are not necessarily movement-minded people, but they appreciate the conversation. And, and so I, I think it's 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 drawing together a diverse group of people. I think there are very few um, who are in the same organization. So if there are 32 authors, we're probably talking at least 20 organizations, maybe 25, something like that would be my guess. A question that's on my mind that I sent to you guys is where's this balance? And I don't know if you get into this in the book or maybe just because of your, your research and study being involved in the book. How do we balance, like, as you said at the beginning, movements are truly a work of God, but we also want to, like, find best practices. We want to sharpen our, our tool set if it's as, as nitty gritty as what gospel share, how we're going to share the gospel with somebody in context. But how do we balance those? I don't know if that's a subject that comes out in the book or you guys would just have some thoughts there, but I'd love to hear both of your, your thoughts. Yeah, that's that's a really important issue um, because a lot of the conversation about movements has focused on, you know, how did this happen? What were the key uh, factors, that sort of thing? Uh, early on, there was some talk of like reverse engineering where you, you see the goal and then you work backwards. What do we do to get there? And there's validity to that. And God has used that. And yet I think some folks in their trainings and their perspective have gotten a, a very uh, human centered idea 
and and outsiders have looked in, kind of got the impression that somebody was saying, you know, this is a recipe. You take these 10 steps and you'll have a movement, you know, just add water and movement. And that's not what anybody intended, but certainly uh, some people had gotten that impression. So part of uh, what we've been doing in recent years is to correct that. Because when I talk with the leaders of these movements, the brothers from uh, India, from uh, Africa, they are stressing prayer. They're stressing the power of God, you know, and, and when people ask them, what happened? What did you do? Well, we prayed and we fasted, you know, and uh, there's one movement in Africa. You read about what's going on there. And it's like, we have this kind of prayer and fasting. We have this kind of prayer and fasting. We have these all night prayer meetings. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, Westerners read that and kind of gloss over, you know, their eyes glaze over and they think, oh yeah, we should pray, you know, but no, what the brother actually said was we're doing all this prayer and fasting. This is the power of God. And, and so I think in some senses, there's a disconnect there where the people seeing the movements are giving God all kinds of glory. And um, some Westerners have looked in and said, okay, so what do we do? And taking the parts that made sense in their view, which was often leaving out the fasting, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay, we'll do this X, Y, Z. So yeah, very much as theologians have seen throughout history, you know, Jonathan Edwards really nailed it in his descriptions of the revivals happening, the, the work of a sovereign God through human means. And he talks about the use of means And I think that's a great way to frame this discussion is, you know, this is God's work. It's God's power. It won't happen if God's spirit doesn't move. And yet when he moves, he will use human means, you know, proclamation of the gospel. He will use effective reproducible tools and all those things. So we need to frame it in terms of what kinds of means do we see God using and how is he leading in this case? And I'll add one more thing. Um, one movement I know of is we call it the listening movement because they are characterized by listening to God a lot. It's a very subjective thing, subjective enough that I think a lot of Westerners would be like, well, yeah, but you got, and and they just say, well, when we need to know what to do, we just ask God and we listen. Mm-hmm. And that is their secret sauce. You know, that's their strategy is they, they do basically the same things other movements are doing. And yet the thing that makes them unique is, it's very clearly the spirit of God is guiding, turn right, turn left, do this, don't give money to that person, and so on. So it's definitely, uh, it's a both and. It is a sovereign God using human means for his glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like it when, whenever Dave talks, I always learn something. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the issue of divine sovereignty and human responsibility is a perennial issue for the church, right? So people have been debating this for 2,000 years. And I think the most helpful answers allow for paradox. So it's just like Dave was saying, it's true that God doesn't need me, but he does use people who love and obey him. And so as Christians, we believe that the ultimate source of fruitful ministry is the Holy Spirit. So I think a really good illustration was um, shared uh, before he passed away by Steve uh, Smith. He said, um, you know, just as a sailboat needs to be properly prepared to sail, we can ask, is our ministry position to move in the way the Holy Spirit blows so that it can become a movement of God? So, though, to go deeper into your question, are movements simply an implementation of best practices, or are they simply obeying clear biblical principles, or are movements um, an, an innovation and in, in a process of learning and serving according to contextual realities? I mean, those are all uh, really important things, and one of the things that we need to steer away from in our conversation is this methodological madness 
that, that, you know, people really criticize the church growth movement's conversation about. We don't want to um, do that or fall into that same trap. And so the strategies for movements can be quite flexible. So it's not just about a method or doing exactly what they did in Acts, but as Craig Ott writes in his chapter, there's definitely a movemental mode of ministry. So it's not a method, but methods do matter. I mean, your approach does matter. And so at at what level do you start looking at it? And I think those are things that we still need to develop. I, I think one of the things that that Dave pointed to, and I totally agree with, is I think the next step in our conversation, we really need to uh, incorporate the intercultural lens a lot more. So our, our movement's missiology has really been, for understandable reasons, led by Western male voices. And so as our conversation develops, we need more non-white vo- voices and more female voices. But I still think, though, it would be unfair to simply say that, like, CPM missiology is the result of a 1990s uh, American captivity to strategy and technique. Um, and I think it's also unfair to say that movements are just simply wills of the Holy Spirit who blows where he pleases, as if like missional implementation of biblical principles, you know, doesn't matter. So I, I think you can actually make the case with, with movements today that it's a positive synergy of Westerners and non-Westerners working together in the global body of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and also what we're seeing in CPM is reflexively impacting the way we're doing ministry in the global north. Um, and so it's not just a missionary conversation, but it's one that falls in the field of world Christianity as well. So like CPM might look like a total paradigm shift to um, Christendom ecclesiology or to like American Baptist polity. Uh, and that explains kind of the criticism from both both of those wings. But it's really kind of, the, it's building off of a number of, of streams that were happening, conversations that were happening, including Roland Allen, uh, how we explained indigeneity, and McGavran's emphasis on, um, on social networks, and, and Winter's focus on the unreached and multiplication. So CPM is kind of a, an innovation specifically for the unreached or least reached context. And so it's not surprising that we see them most often happening in those contexts today. We, what we learn from movements in other places helps us realize that like, oh, I can have a, I can start sharing the gospel with my neighbor. <laughs> like, it's like we, we almost get permission to do things in the West that we've used tradition to, to get ourselves out of. So that's good. As both of you work together on this and, and with several others, were there any particular, I don't know if surprises is the word, but maybe a, either a surprise or something that really jumped out to you? Um, in the whole process. I would love to hear anything, any aha moments as you guys worked on this. I think one of the surprises for me was I've been fairly well connected with a lot of key players of what's happening in movements and that sort of thing. And as I read some of the material going into the chapters, I learned about some research that had been happening that I had been totally unaware of and really good stuff. And, um, And as I read it, I thought, wow, this is really solid research. And uh, I've never met this person before. I didn't know, um, you know, I didn't know he was doing research. And as I checked with him, got to know him a bit, I said, so who are you reading? You know, who are you interviewing? Who are these people? I realized it was people I knew about. And so it was very credible research. And yet I was delighted to find that he had gone much deeper than some of the stuff that I'd been aware of and certainly deeper than anything I was doing at the time. So that was delightful. And that's been, I think, for me, one of the real joys of the whole Motus Day network is pulling together uh, very high caliber people 
with very strong research um, on the ground stuff happening. And that's been great. Really, uh, I think helping us to go deeper in our understanding of what's happening in movements, deeper theologically and deeper in terms of the details of how uh, how things are actually working in these movements. You know, as David Garrison says, if the body of Christ only knew what the body of Christ knows, the body of Christ would know a lot. You know, so that, that's the point of this network is, yeah, we're learning from each other. If you look at kind of what happened with the church growth movement, like I said earlier, it kind of got sidetracked and became all about church enlargement, not church growth, and um, became really technocratic and was just theologically shallow. Uh, various reasons uh, the church growth movement doesn't exist anymore. They reframed to the Great Commission Research Network. Um, and so what we're trying to do, though, is in this conversation, we want to build off of things that have happened in the past, including the missional church conversation, which came about right at the at the twilight of the church growth movement as well, for very different reasons. And the, the missional church movement has some positives and some negatives as well. So in this conversation, we want to learn from some of the mistakes that previous conversations have have, have made and see what can we do over the next five, 10, maybe 20 years to say, um, you know, how can we research this for the glory of God and to really prioritize local initiatives to really see movements of flourishing all over the globe, you know, for God's glory. Mm-hmm. Great. So how can we get in touch with the book? Uh, you can go to our website, modusday.network. So that'll be in the show notes, mm-hmm. modusday.network, click on resources. You can also go to missionbooks.org or you can go to Amazon. Um, and so it's, you, you'll, you'll find it there. And, and also uh, we've developed a course around the book. Um, so you'll have over 20 videos. There's 22 chapters in the book and then a, a couple other books and assignments. It's, it's an accredited course in the Ephesiology Masterclasses. Um, master of arts degree in, in movements. Wow. So the course is called a foundation for a foundations for a movement missiology. And so you can take the course, you can dialogue with me uh, through throughout the chapters by taking this course. So we'll put that a link for that in the show notes as well. Wow. I'm excited to hear that. I did not know that. That kind of starts to answer the next, my last question was what's, what's next for Modus Day? Well, we're, we're a trust-based network. Um, we're an informal trust-based network, and we're like, like I know you're in the zero-dollar church thing. We're a zero-dollar network at this point. So we're just gonna, we're kind of like, like the air, the, like the airport strategy. Like you don't know where your gate is, you just kind of go in and you follow the signs, you know, kind of a thing, and you'll, you'll get there eventually. It's the same thing. We're just kind of making it up as we go along. Um, we have uh, had over 120 people applied to be part of our movements research symposium that we did for the launch of our network last October. And so we actually analyzed those responses in the application form. We say, what is the, what are the next steps that we need to take in our conversation? What are the things we most need to research? And so we identified like six areas of uh, things that people said, these, these could really benefit the conversation. And so we might have like smaller working groups and we're just, um, anybody can apply to be a part of the network. Uh, at, at modusday.network and just to join in, be, take, take part in things. And especially if you have uh, movements research to share, you know, that would be uh, the most strategic way. I mean, as we started the conversation, what this book is about, the movement of God, the discipleship of nations. I mean, we're, we're just trusting God to do his work, but as you guys have been 
I can tell way smarter than me as we're having these conversations and, and so well read and researched. I mean, what do you think God is up to in the next, as you said, 5, 10, 20 years? I would love to hear just an, whether that's an encouraging word or a challenge, challenge for the existing church, but I'd love to hear from both of you on that to wrap up. I'd say it's both an encouraging word and a challenging word. I was in a discussion, um, I think it was last week, with about 10 brothers. We get together uh, monthly and work as part of that call as well. And one of the things we were talking about with the dynamics of movements and, and what we see happening in the world right now and what we foresee is we came back to Matthew t- chapter 24. And uh, it's for a reason that the, the 2414 network is built around the verse Matthew 24, verse 14, which says this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all the ethne, all the people groups, and then the end will come. And so Jesus made it very plain what, what's going to happen is the gospel will be proclaimed to all ethne. But that, that verse starts with the word and. And then if you look at the the previous part of the chapter, it's all bad news. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) Jesus' disciples asked him, you know, see these great temple buildings. What's going to happen here? And then Jesus talks about wars, rumors of wars, famines, plagues. The love of most will grow cold and all of this bad news, all of this dark stuff. And then you get to verse 14, which is like the diamond in the midst of all the garbage, all the negative And then, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in the midst of the wars, the rumors and wars, the famines, the plagues, all of that. And and so to the extent we can look and see what's happening right now with COVID, where we see things headed, uh, whether you talk politics or whatever, it's not all rosy scenario. It's actually the world in turmoil. And um, that probably will continue. But in the midst of that, we see the gospel going forth. And one of the brothers shared, uh, based on their experience uh, in Southeast Asia, an incredible movement that has launched dozens and dozens of other movements. And he said, we often see that about a year and a half after disasters, if our folks have gone in, have ministered effectively, we see an increase in gospel interest. And that's in very hard areas. Uh, Some of those are quite fanatic Muslim areas. And yet God is opening the doors and the kingdom is being established and moving forward in the midst of disasters, through disasters. And we could even say because disasters Mm. have opened some of the doors. And so one of our big challenges, I think, as believers is when bad stuff happens to not react in self-defense and say, you know, how do I take care of myself? How do I take care of my church? How do I take care of my family? How do I take care of my country and keep us safe? That's that's the natural human sinful reaction. We need to say, how, how does God want to use this to glorify his name? And to the extent his people ask that question, I think no matter how hard things get, the kingdom will continue to advance because that's what we've seen in the midst of COVID. Uh, For example, in India, testimonies of people that had just barely enough food to stay alive and they shared with their neighbors who had no food and God used that and people are coming to faith and churches are being established because in the midst of suffering, his people are acting like his people. (laughs) They're showing love and they're giving what little they have for the glory of God. So that's kind of what I see 
uh, what I think God's up to, uh, we can certainly say he's doing it right now. Mm-hmm. And I envision uh, that will continue. And I hope that uh, it won't take long. And that's part of what the 2414 network is about. And uh, folks can take a look at that at 2414now.net, which I think is one of the best sources for current information on what's happening with movements in the world today. And, and the goal of that network is to get the gospel to every people and every place within the next few years by the end of 2025. So pushing hard with research and with effective ministry, collaboration, mutual encouragement to see the gospel proclaimed to every group. Mm. You know, and just as, as Dave was sharing, the pace of change is um is increasing in the world today and in the coming decades, I think are going to even be more disorienting, more disorienting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with, with change happening all the time. And one of the things that I like about uh, the potential for a movement's missiology is that it has this, this integrative concept to it. So it's not like you have, we can talk about evangelism, discipleship, church planting, community development, et cetera. So what is movements just another thing that we talk about? Well, no, I think actually movements is something that incorporates all that. And in, in the framework of, of um, integral mission, you know, where your, your evangelism has social implications and the, your social action has evangelistic implications, mm-hmm. you know, when we're meeting the needs of people, of suffering people, um, that, that movements are a way to talk about to, to integrate the community transformation and church planting and disciple making kind of all in, in, in one concept and in a way that has the potential to have orders of magnitude more impact than, than institutional or, or non-movement approaches. And so, like I said, though, we're not just chasing after, you know, scale or size or strategy, but it's really about, we feel God really does care about abundant fruit and, and seeking worshipers from all nations for, for his glory. To find links to the book Modus Day and many other things we talked about on this episode, go to ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. If you have any questions or comments, you can go to that same URL or check in at 321-209-3899. This is Feeney. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.